Okay, I'm just kidding. I'm really just kidding. Okay, please, you know, I think it's a great thing. If you want to keep your mask on, it's really, really fantastic. Sometimes I do that because I'd want people to recognize me, okay? And, um, but this weekend, I want to speak to you about virtues not desired, okay? And when you look at virtues, you've got to look at the Beatitudes, which is found in Matthew chapter 5, um, in, in, the, in the first portion of that uh, chapter, okay? Because the, the Beatitudes represent some of the most significant statements on virtues that's ever recorded for us in the Bible concerning us Christians, and it is of great significance, especially because it is given to us through the mouth of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, this didn't come from a prophet, this didn't come from an apostle, this came from Christ uh, himself. Amen. And there are many ways in which we can look at this statement, but this weekend, I want to look at it with a particular focus on how do we respond to it? What do we do with it? How do we relate it to things that are happening to us right now? And I feel this urgency to talk about it because we see this development in activism, you know, um, in the world as well as in the church. You know, we see a proliferation of cancel culture, a lot of aggressiveness in our societies. And I just feel it's so important for us to address this because we can change the direction of society through what we do. Amen. I want to show you a little slide of some of these recent events that happened in Singapore. I took this from Mashan News as well as from Mothership. And, you know, all, all of us, I, I'm sure you've come across this, you know, the altercation outside the tuition centre, right? Or, you know, some of these fights that have broken out and things like that. And, you know, I, I, I tried watching some of these video, videos and I want to say this, I really can't watch them for very long. I, I very soon just stopped watching it because there's a revulsion towards the aggressiveness, the violence and the anger that is on display. People shouting at at one another, the lack of cordialness, you know, and people just seem much more easily triggered. They look really entitled and privileged. Amen. And there is just an internal revulsion towards this. I want to say this, the, not just the climate of, the, of this world is uh, rising, the temperature of society seems to be climbing steadily as well, right? I mean, you know, I, I, I don't know what this reminds you, but when I think about all these aggressiveness, I think about Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49 and 50, in which there is a description given concerning Sodom prior to God judging the city of Sodom. And it says, this, look, this is the iniquity of your sister uh, Solomon, sorry, Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy, and they were haughty and committed abomination before me. And this is the state of it. You know, there is such aggressiveness, there's arrogance, there's violence. And the question is, can we reverse this? Can we make a difference? And I want to say, for certain, we can. You see, Jesus was never averse to planting a singular, minuscule seed and in full expectation that a massive tree shall emerge from it that has the potential to change the world. I mean, Jesus didn't began, began with a massive social media campaign. He began with just preaching a go the gospel in the out, uh, out, you know, outside of, a, you know, uh, of the cities of uh, Jerusalem, not even in the capital city, but in some far forlorn place, right? And yet what Jesus did 2,000 years ago has changed the world many times over. You know, and as the incidences of violence increases and people seem more and more agitated, I really want to bring us back to the Beatitudes because I believe this, that as the church, as believers, we can change the flavor of our society. It is also in the Beatitudes or subsequent, immediate, uh, subsequent to the Beatitudes that Jesus said that we are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Jesus basically tells us the potential to change the society is in us as we examine the Beatitudes. So, 
I want to first give us a little introduction about the Beatitudes by looking at the word blessed, okay? Because this is the operative word. This is the word that appears, you know, nine times in this whole set of Beatitudes, and we need to understand what this uh, word means, okay? Now, in the original Greek, this word blessed comes, uh, has got two uh, translations. The first one is the Greek word eulogia, and eulogia is used when invoking a blessing upon individuals or upon a community. At the end of every service, we have a benediction in which the pastor who is presiding over the service would invoke God's blessings on the congregation. Amen? And when we do that, it's the word eulogia. But the word that is being used in the, in the Beatitudes is not this word. It's another Greek word called makarios. And makarios is really quite different. It is used to recognize a state of happiness or of good fortune that is already existing. It is an adjective, not an adverb, okay? A word is used to affirm a quality of spirituality that's already present in a person. So let me explain this a little bit by taking an example, uh, by, uh, and I want to use the example of the third beatitude. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The problem is most of us read this little uh, beatitude, and this is our conclusion. Our conclusion is if you do X, then you'll get Y. If you, do, if you act in meekness, then you will inherit the earth. Instead, the correct way to read this beatitude is as follows. See this person who is in a blessed state of X, because he will inherit Y. In other words, the state of meekness is already existing. It's a recognition of the person's state. Now, when, you know, it's about coming to a state rather than just doing something in a moment. It's not about saying, hey, I want this, therefore I do this. But as believers, this is the state that we are supposed to be in. It's not just about humbling yourself once, but it's coming to a state where humility permeates who you are. It's not about making peace just once in a moment, but you have the nature of a peacemaker. Amen? So let's dive in. I want to look at three of these Beatitudes because honestly, there's not enough time to look at all of them, okay? So the first Beatitude is this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, what does it mean, firstly, what does it mean to be poor in spirit, okay? Now, here's a principle for us as believers. When it comes to defining words in the Bible, the best dictionary for definition is the Bible itself. So the best way to understand these New, ter New Testament terminology is to simply go back to the Old Testament and to find out what, how the Old Testament defines these words, okay? So let's go to Isaiah 66 verse 2. I love this verse in which it says this, but on this one will I look. This is God the Father speaking and he says, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. In other words, the word the, the, the phrase poor in spirit refers to a state of humility and piousness. The, the attitudes indicate that those who are in such a state constitute those who have membership in God's kingdom. Now, can I appeal to all of us here, my brothers and my sisters, that pride and arrogance has no place in God's kingdom. Amen? As believers, humility must be our hallmark. Now, consider this for a moment, okay? Do we see the kingdom of God as something that is to come or that something that is present? In fact, when you examine the scriptures, you will know that both of these things are true. So let me just show you this. Because Jesus, you know, the kingdom of God is something that is coming, okay? And we know this because Jesus says this. He, prayed, he taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. 
Okay, means it's not here, but you're praying for the kingdom to come. But at the same time, the kingdom of God is present because Jesus also in Luke 11 verse 20 says this, but if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Indicating that the kingdom of God is already present. Amen. So both are true. Right? There's a greater manifestation of the kingdom of God that is coming, but nonetheless, the kingdom of God is already present and we as members of this kingdom can bring a taste of God's kingdom into this present world. Now, what I want to do is contrast for us the people that were present when this sermon was preached, when the Beatitudes were preached, the Jewish people that were there in the days of Jesus and how they would understand this statement. You see, what they would look at when, they, when Jesus talked about the kingdom of God was they were not thinking about something that's coming. They were not thinking about something that is present. But they were thinking about a physical nation. Whenever they mentioned the kingdom of God, the Jewish people always went back in history and they saw David over the whole nation of Israel or Solomon reigning over the whole nation of Israel. And that's what the Jewish people thought. They think immediately a physical kingdom in which the Jewish people are independent, self-governing, and the whole system that is employed in that nation is based on the Torah or the laws of God. Now, this is a lot of application for us, okay? Because today, as Christians, many times we are looking at the physical instead of the fact that there is an unseen kingdom that God calls us to. Whenever we talk about the seven mountains, sometimes we thread over the line and we begin to think that, hey, God's called us to have dominion over the kingdoms of this earth, but never once did Jesus ever point us towards that. Or sometimes we think that the establishing of righteous laws in the nation that we reside in is what this you know, what the kingdom of God is all about. Now, it is not wrong for us to desire um, to see righteousness exalted in our nation. Amen? If there ever was a referendum in Singapore whereby we need to vote on a particular set of laws as to whether it is right or wrong, we should vote on the side of righteousness and that is not wrong. Amen? But yet, I want us to understand this, that we don't have to wait for righteous laws to be manifested before the kingdom of God shows up. Amen? Do we believe for, you know, for us to see God's kingdom manifested that our societal laws and our systems must somehow reflect a biblical system? Because if that's the case, then Jesus never brought the kingdom of God. When Jesus was alive and was preaching the gospel, let me tell you this, there was nothing of a semblance to the standards of God that the Roman Empire implemented in those days. There was nothing like that at all. You see, when you consider the Beatitudes be a sure and certain way to which God's kingdom shows up presently is when we learn to walk in God's ways. And one of the essential things is that we learn to walk in a state of humility. Amen. The kingdom of heaven is not seen in our dominance of the systems of this world because if we think like that, then we missed it. More than anything else, if the church would learn to walk in humility, we'll bring a taste of heaven on earth. Amen. You see, I believe this with all my heart, that a church full of people that are poor in spirit will accomplish more than a singular law in our nation that approximates towards the standard of righteousness in the Bible. Amen. This is precisely why Christianity has always flourished in cultures and in systems that are hostile to the Word of God. Christianity was born and launched in a system of governance that was uh, totally against the righteousness of God. I mean, just go back and study the system of law that was, the, that was under the Roman Empire. You will notice that there is nothing godly about it. Amen. And yet this is what we need to realize 
That in spite of these circumstances, in spite of the, you know, the, the, the systems that are against the Word of God, the world was turned upside down by the Gospel, not because the disciples sought to change the laws of the land, but because they behaved in a way that brought a conviction to the world that was around them. Amen. This is what we need to recover as a church. Sometimes we think this, that signing petitions is what is really important. And I want to encourage us, if there is a petition that is good and up, please, by all means, go sign the petition. Amen. But don't for a moment think that that is the, thing, or that is the key to changing this world that God has called us to. That's not the basic operating system that God has given to us. There's nothing in the Bible that, uh, to tell us that the disciples went around signing petitions. <laughs> But I'm telling you, if only the church begins to live like the church, if only Christians began to live like Christians, no more shouting, no more aggressiveness. We learn to be humble, amen. I'm telling you this, this will be a tremendous, tremendous change that will come. You know, Isaiah 66 is such an incredible verse. I don't know if you've ever considered it properly. That God is actually saying this, hey, if I find a man or a woman who's poor and contrite in spirit, I will come and make my dwelling with the person. Now, this was written in the days where there was a temple in Jerusalem. One of the most magnificent ones, of course, you know, there was this uh, downfall that happened and later on, you know, Herod built another temple and all. But I, wanna, I want you to just imagine all these temples and God says, I don't want to dwell in any of these temples. I want to dwell in a man or a woman who's broken his contract. This was not said in the New Testament. This was said in the Old Testament. Yeah, there'll be, you know, the Bible says that there'll be a second temple that'll be built, you know, in, in, in Jerusalem in fulfillment of the end times. But let me tell you this, God's heart is not there. God's heart is looking at us. Who is broken? Who is contrite? Because His Word's not going to change on that. Amen. He's looking for someone to dwell upon. And I'm telling you, if we learn to be the temple of the Holy Spirit, if we learn to host the presence of God, the impact is going to be far greater than any piece of legislation this world can enact. Hello? The second beatitude I want to share with you is this. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, there's a genuine need for the church to come back to a place where we are acquainted with suffering, pain, loss, and difficulties. Yeah? And by this, I don't, I'm not asking any of us to go out and seek to inflict pain in our own lives and think to yourself, you know, I need to go and buy a whip and whip myself. No, I don't believe in self-mortification. So please don't do that, okay? Right? Don't, don't do that. Don't, and, and wives, don't tell your husbands, hey, pastor said that you need to suffer more, so I'm going to whack you. Yeah. Don't, don't do that. That's what, what I mean, okay? But I want to say that this. If you open our eyes, it's not difficult for us to find people who are suffering, who are all around us. Maybe it's sickness. Maybe someone lost a loved one. Maybe it's some difficulties they're going through, some trials that are going on in their lives. Pain, suffering is all around us. The problem is this. It is easy for us to concern ourselves only with our own lives and to close our eyes to the suffering of the people around us. Sometimes we read the, par uh, the parable that Jesus said about the rich man who walked by Lazarus and never did one thing good for Lazarus. And we think to ourselves, man, if I was that rich man, I would not have ignored Lazarus. I tell you this, we are all guilty of what a rich man has done because we've ignored many Lazarus, Lazaruses that God has brought across our pathway. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 2 to 4 says things. I just give you a little excerpt. 
He says, it's better to go to the house of mourning than go, to go to the house of feasting. Right? For that, that in the end of, that is the end of all men, the living will take it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. Wow. A sad countenance, uh, for by a sad countenance, the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of the fool, of fools is in the house of mirth. Right? And there is something of wisdom that is given to us there. Again, let me say this. We cannot take on the suffering of the whole world. We cannot say, look at the suffering that's happening in Ukraine and say, oh, I'm going to go there and I'm going to save Ukrainians. You know? Let me tell you this. There's only one person who's capable of taking on the suffering of the whole world, and that is Jesus Christ, and he's already done it. And he's given his life for it. Nobody else is adequate to do that. But I'm saying to us, what we need to do is we need to keep compassion alive in us by looking at the people who are immediately around us. Who are the people that God has brought into our paths? I'm not asking any of us to embrace the needs of the whole world. I'm only asking us to find the one that is near us and to help them. Amen. You know, many of you know that... uh, you know, when uh, Wendy and I, we uh, were fostering for a number of years, you know, and about a couple of weeks, about three weeks ago, you know, we got a call, you know, from the fostering agency and mentioned one of the foster kids that we were taking some years back and saying that the kid needs another home, you know, kind of thing, and uh, because the, the kid is going into long-term foster care. And when that is mentioned, you know, I said to Wendy, instantaneously, instantaneously, let's take her in. No, 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 I didn't say that. <laughs> I said to Wen, I said, don't you dare say yes to them. We got five kids already in the house, huh? and two uh, as though not enough. Yeah, we are like tired like anything. Our house got no more room already, okay? Wen, tell them, no, we're not going to take this kid in. Right? And that night, I had a dream. I won't tell you the content of the dream. <laughs> but in the dream, essentially, the Lord says this to me. The Lord says, <clears throat> lip, will you not enlarge your heart? That's all he said. And I woke up in the morning, I was very angry with God. Very angry. And then for the next three, four days, I was talking to God all the time. He's not talking to me. He already spoke. I'm just talking to the Lord. I said to him, Lord, you got to see how big my house is and all. You know? It's, I got no more space. We're, you know, we're tired. You know, Lord, you, 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 know, you think I'm not working in church, huh? you know? You think I got nothing to do in church, is it? And then I, I said this. I said, Lord, Cornerstone got 5,000 people, you know? You can ask any of them. Most of them not doing anything. <laughs> this is how your pastor talks to God. And <laughs> torment all these people. <laughs> and I said, Lord, why me? You know, stop it. You know, this is not fair. You know, you, you know there are many people who are, who are your children, who are your sons, who are your daughters, who are not doing much. Okay, and you can ask them, go and talk to them. Why must you talk to me? I already take, take so many already, you know. And I just went on and on. You know, and the funny thing is this, God never answers when we are on a rent, you know. And so after four or five days, I finally said to the Lord, because he's not talking to me. He's not answering me. He's just like already gave me a dream and that's it. And then finally, after four or five days, I said, okay, okay, Lord, you win, you win. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, not, we're still not taking the goal in, okay, <laughs> because we do have actual uh, restrictions, but we are uh, taking her in on a respite, you know, for some months until there's a permanent place found for the child. But all I'm saying is this, okay, that it's easy for us to just push these things away. I, I don't know if you watched the uh, C News about the um, immigrant uh, migrant workers, right? 
and, and every time we go there and do something, we put up photos to show you guys what is being done. I don't know if you ever noticed this, that the volunteers are always the same people. Have you ever noticed that? No, you never. <laughs> well, you need to start noticing that. And, and the Beatitude simply tells us this. Okay. That, hey, comfort is assured. Comfort is already assured. Therefore, go ahead and moan. Go ahead and take on the suffering. Go ahead and embrace the pain that others are going through. Become acquainted with them. And don't just look after yourself. Amen? The third beatitude I want to cover is, this, uh, is, is the meekness one. Okay? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. <clears throat> now, this is a really interesting beatitude. I want to, and I want to walk us through a couple of components in this uh, beatitude. Okay? Firstly, um, I want you to consider this beatitude in a slightly different light, okay? Because it says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, okay? And now imagine what it means to inherit the earth. Because if I, because in the natural, if I have a rich father and who's a landowner, then I know for sure that when I'm grown and it's time for the division of inheritance, that I will inherit what belongs to my father. Right? And the reason I know I'll inherit it is not because I've earned it, but because of my relationship with the Father. Amen? And likewise, when we know that the earth is ours, as you consider this beatitude that the earth belongs to the Lord, then we know already that we are going to inherit it. And therefore, we stay in a blessed state of meekness. Right? That's what it means. Now, at the same time, when you consider the word uh, meekness, right, or this virtue of meekness, this is something I believe is to be so prized by God. That when Jesus gave a description of himself, he used two adjectives. He said in Matthew uh, chapter 11, verse 29, he says, learn from me because I'm lowly and meek. Now, Christ could have used a, a myriad or a number of different adjectives to describe himself, but these are the two qualities or virtues that he wanted to be associated with. It's lowliness, humility, as well as meekness. But the problem with meekness is this. The meekness is really a, a, a virtue that is not desired in our present world, okay? It's a quality that, uh, that is not associated with authority, with being in a place of high position or of high standing. In fact, if you check, um, you know, the dictionaries out there, the definition of meekness is somewhat mixed, okay? There's some good definition, but there are quite a, uh, some bad ones. Miriam Webster uh, defines um, meekness as such, mild, deficient in spirit and courage, not violent, not strong. Not the best definition. Dictionary.com says it's the quality of being overly submissive, timid, weak, and passive. And in the eyes of the world, meekness is really associated with weakness. But when you examine the Greek and the Hebrew words for meekness, what you gather is a completely different picture. Meekness, according to the Bible, is uh, a person who has a lack of self-pride and self-concern. You have reached a point where people's comments and people, the way people look at you does not matter, but there is disciplined calmness. It is concerned with the circumstances that one is willing to endure instead of succumbing to it. It means that you are willing to embrace the circumstance by choice, right? What it does is it describes someone who's strong enough to turn the other cheek, to go the second mile, despite the humiliation, in order to become a witness for God's character and love. The person who does this does not do it in fear or in weakness, nor, to, in order, nor as though to avoid conflict. Instead, this person does it in order to carry the burden and responsibility of being called a Christian. 
because that's what it means to be a Christian. Moses was called the meekest man on earth. Now, the antithesis of meekness is aggression, anger, pride, and a sense of entitlement. When you think about these words, I cannot help but think about Singaporeans. Aggression, anger, pride, a sense of entitlement. You know, I shared this that the last couple of weeks, you know, I've had some uh, incidents of altercation that I, come, that I came across personally. About two weeks ago, you know, my wife and I, we were at Decathlon. And, uh, you know, I, I step onto the road and I, you know, there's a change of the lane direction, you know, so I didn't realize that. So I step on the road. So this car came out, you know, and then just kind of stopped right in front of me and stared at me. I stared at the person. Then I realized, okay, I'm in the wrong lane. So I stepped back and the person passed. And while the person passed, I just looked at the person. I really wasn't staring at her. And then the lady driver, she drove, uh, she wound down her window and then she shouted at me, stare, look at what? You're in the wrong, you still look at me. You know? So I shouted back, shout, shout for what? Huh? Your voice very loud. Huh? <laughs> and then my wife pulled me, you know, and said, hey, you remember you pastor, huh? tomorrow news come out, pastor shouting in public, you know. Yeah. And, and that was what happened. I'm just telling you, I'm just being honest, that's what happened to me, right? And then, uh, and then la- last week, you know, Wendy and I, we went to this famous Tau Sapia store, you know, and I put it on my social media. I just think to myself, really funny, this is probably the best Tau Sapia in Singapore, but the name is just not appetizing. The name is called Long Fat. Okay, never mind. <laughs> Anyways, while well, we're queuing up for this thing, okay, this altercation breaks up behind us, okay, and you know, and this two lady began a shouting match because one of the ladies, you know, got into the wrong queue and then she decided to insert herself in the queue. And man, they were shouting and they were shouting. It was like they just went on shouting at each other. They were name calling. There were some vulgarities. There were, and I'm standing there like, what should I do? What should I do, Lord? Maybe I should step aside, give my space up to the other lady, and cause this you know, situation to diffuse, you know. So I kept thinking, should I do that? I? Then it reached my turn, so I just went ahead. <laughs> now, yesterday, Pastor was here, you know, when I shared these stories, and I said this, okay, the reason why I tell you guys this is because if it was Pastor telling any of these things, you guys will not be able to identify because Pastor will stand up and he'll do the right thing, he'll turn the other cheek, you know, he'll be so kind, he'll actually do the good stuff. But me, I do all the wrong things, and then you guys can identify with it, right? Yeah. I'm telling you, Pastor Young shared it and shared his victories. You know, you like, oh, this pastor's so spiritual. I don't know if I can do that. Me, I share it. You guys, are, yeah, I do the same thing, you know. <laughs> and so you can realize that, okay, a lot of work that's required. But, but that's, what, that's what it is, right? And, and there is something about us that's supposed to diffuse. I mean, if we could respond rightly, if we could change, if we could just be a witness in these moments, I'm telling you, it would be so powerful. Amen. Now, I want to close out by saying this, okay? And this is an important part. Because the Beatitude says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the, the earth. But when the first century believers who were there present heard this Beatitude, they didn't, they didn't hear the word inherit the earth. What they heard was this, inherit the land not the earth. Because the root word can be translated as either. When the, that root Greek word was used or that word in Aramaic was used, it could mean earth, it could mean land, either one of them uh, would be valid. 
But the hearers were predominantly Jewish, and as far as the Jewish, uh, Jewish people were concerned, they're not interested in the whole earth. They're only interested in one thing, the land, and that is the promised land. It is Israel. It's that little sliver of land that fronts the coast of the Dead Sea, and that's the only piece of property that they were interested in. The statement was made in the presence of a whole slew of Jewish people in different classes, the Pharisees, the Herodians, the common Jewish people, the Sadducees, the Zealots, and so on and so forth. And as each of these group of people heard this statement being made, they had a different interpretation of it. For the common Jewish people, when it talks about inheriting the land, let me tell you this, they thought only about one thing, genealogy. If I can trace my genealogy back to the book of Joshua, I know exactly where my land is allotted. Because the land comes true, genealogy. If it was the Herodians, then it was all about the machination, the political machinations that they could do with the Roman Empire. And that's why they were called Herodians. They entered into a maneuvering pact with the Romans to exert influence and control over the nation of Israel, and in return, they got the land. And finally, there were the Zealots, and the Zealots believed that only through armed conflict could they get the land, and they were the ones creating rebellions, insurrections, violence, in order to obtain a piece of the land. And then comes Jesus and says, no, nope, the land doesn't go to any of you through those means, not even through your genealogy. He says, it is to the meek. It is to those who work through gentleness, patient, yielding, endurance of injustice, foregoing our rights, and who are not demanding, not through loud shouting, being willing to, to be maligned sometimes, to turn the other cheek, and to be willing to go the second mile. Now, the implication for us is massive, because is it land or is it the earth? I think both works, and Jesus used an ambiguous word because he wanted it to become expensive. What is the promise that God has given to you? What is the promised land that you are looking for? It doesn't come through fight. It doesn't come through grabbing. It doesn't come through trying to see something. The promises of God comes when we are willing to allow God to work it out and we are willing to embrace meekness. We don't have to fight for the promotion. We don't have to demand a fair judgment. We don't have to contest for what is our fair share. You know, but the possession of God's promises does not lie with arrogance, does not lie with aggression, anger. Instead, it is in a state of meekness. Amen. And this is something that is just intensely difficult to develop. And it requires so much intensity. It requires so much injustice for meekness to be produced in our lives. And that's what the Lord is looking for. Amen. You know, church, I believe that we are in crucial times in this world, not just in our nation, but there is a demand for a genuine witness of Christians. I cannot imagine that Jesus, when coming back for the church, would see a company of people that are shouting at one another. Amen. I mean, we, you know, for, for two years now, we, we used to hire, you know, ATOS to manage our traffic going out from Katong. You know, because as vehicles go, they need to make a U-turn, and I know that there are vehicles that are outside, you know, and we try to minimize it, you know. And... Um, but sometimes I think to myself, can we Christians not self-regulate ourselves, that we need ATOS to come and regulate us? Can we not be courteous and patient to say, hey, you can take this, you can go first, we can allow others to go. There's no shouting, there's no aggressiveness, there's a willingness to put ourselves in other people's shoes. I'm telling you, when God comes back, when the, when the last days comes, when the witness of the church comes out, I'm telling you, it's going to be a church of people, a body of people that just carries the image of Christ. Amen. And that is where our power lies. That is where the authority is going to lie in. It's the nature of Christ that we bring forward. And how much more a description of the nature God wants us to have than the Beatitudes. Amen.
Let's all stand to our feet and I want to bring this to a close. I want to pray for us. Amen. When you guys later drive out, drive properly, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, After one sermon, one year in, one year out, go out, you know? And and I, I, I promise you, I promise you, this week God will give you a chance to test this out. I promise you. I tested two weeks already, I failed both. Huh? <laughs> but God will give you a chance. And I want to encourage you all that when things like that happen, think, think carefully, what is the response that God wants from us? Amen. Can we change the narrative? I know the news is always going to report bad things. Right? I mean, all these altercations, they sure will report, they sell newspaper, right? I mean, you look at the top five trending news, it's all rubbish. Right? Nobody's going to be concerned about the plight of, you know, something genuine because people like to read sensational stuff and sometimes sensational things always get a little bit more boost when it comes to that. But I'm telling you this, it's not about what the news reports. It's not about, it's about us. We can, we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. We can change this world one step at a time. God has already given us the blueprint. Go back to the Word of God. Go back to God's Word. He's given us the key. He's given us the strategy. Don't abandon that for something else. Amen. And if we would just allow Him to revive us, we allow Him to speak to us and change us individually, one area at a time. I'm telling you this, God is coming back for a bride without spot, without wrinkle, that when you see Christ and when you see the church, you're going to see the same thing. The church is going to reflect Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you. We humble ourselves. We ask you for your forgiveness for the many times, Lord, that we have not been true to your word, that we have brought your name disgrace because of our lack of wisdom, because of our lack of sanctification, because of, of, of the nature that, in, uh, that is in us that is uncircumcised, Lord, that is unchanged, oh God, that we carry with us the odour of the world when you have given us the fragrance of Christ, Lord. Father, we ask you, Lord, today, speak to us as only you can. Father, we, I come personally, I just confess, I brought your name shame many times, many times, Lord. I ask you to forgive us, and though we will still not be perfect, but I pray, O oh Lord, that your Spirit will lead us into all truth. Your Spirit will guide us. Your Spirit would convict us. Lord, the theme for this year is Holy Spirit, come. And right now, Lord, we ask you, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. You, you are, you, your, your character, your nature is in total synchrony with the character and nature of Jesus Christ, oh God. And you dwell in us, Lord. Lord, we ask you, Lord, convict us, speak to us. In every moment, show us what we are supposed to do, oh God. Father, Lord, that we would carry those Beatitudes as a witness to the world, oh God. We bless you, Lord. We give you praise. We give you glory, honor. And now I just speak your blessings over my brothers and my sisters, the blessings of God the Father, the blessings of God the Son, and the blessings of God the Holy Spirit be with you and abide with you now and forevermore. And everybody say, Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a clap offering, shall we? You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. 
We hope that you have been blessed.